Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Shelley Tremaine, who's a philosopher, about Foucault and the feminist philosophy of disability. So welcome to the podcast. Hello, Dave. Thanks for inviting me to be interviewed. So uh, this is an incredibly interesting book. It's uh, both, you know, at once kind of philosophically uh, rich, really detailed. It also speaks to a, a range of, uh, you know, really kind of important real world examples and it deals with um i think a, an area that is really kind of chronically under researched or you know certainly under philosophized which is is disability and i guess that the place to start is is kind of your motivations behind writing the book and where the book kind of fits in uh with with, with your thought more generally well the preface um of the book begins with an anecdote of um, a conversation that I had with an accomplished philosopher um, during my first year uh, in a temporary teaching position. And in the course of that conversation, uh, she told me that if I didn't stop working on disability, I'd never get a job in philosophy. And um, that that was quite upsetting because um, it well, for, for one thing, it was it, it sort of it was articulation of this idea um, that um, you know the um, the articulation of the idea that philosophy operates under the you know philosophy operates under the guise of neutrality, um, objectivity, and universality. Um, when really it um, promotes particular epistemologies, particular ontologies, particular um, perspectives. And so the the anecdote really crystallizes um, what I'm doing in the book and and how my career has been shaped um, by this um, by these ideas um, that these assumptions that philosophy does, operate um, with neutrality and objectivity and universality and um, also that um, and and so the um, so the and the anecdote really crystallized um, so not only how my career has um, tr- um, you know, unfolded, but it also, when I thought back upon it, when I was, when I was thinking about this book, um, and when I was, um, thinking about, you know, what, you know, what is going on here, it really, um, you know, because I had been working, my work had really, um, developed, uh, or unfolded in uh, really what seemed like two separate um, and distinct spheres. Uh, in the one sphere, I was doing this work on, um, you know, examining the um, constitution of impairment in in various discourses, bioethical discourses, feminist discourses, and other philosophical discourses. And in the other sphere, I was, you know, um, doing this. I, w- I was doing this empirical work on 
you know, why, you know, that was really sort of examining what the, what the obstacles were to um, disabled uh, philosophers um, to getting adequate employment, you know, what was keeping um, us uh, excluded from philosophy, from the professional philosophy and keeping our work marginalized um, in the discipline. So I was looking at, um, you know, um, you know, um, here I was getting all these rejections from these bioethics um, journals and uh, I mean getting really hostile um, reviewer reports um, because of the work I was doing and so I wanted to um, you know I I, I could see that I could see at first some connections between the two spheres and increasingly over time I began to see how they were intimately entwined and um, when I proposed the book to um, the University of Michigan Press, one of the um, one of the reviewers in the re- uh, in the reviewer report um, said, "Well, you know, she this person she's proposing two separate books here. You know, there are two books happening. She should just stick with her work on you know the constitution of impairment in uh, philosophical discourses and leave the other stuff for a, a future book." And but. Uh, and, and you know when I when I read the report, I thought, no, I can't do that because and and I can was able to convince my um, editor at the University of Michigan Press, Leanne Fields, that uh, no, I, I you know I need to find a way to um, art you know articulate. I need to argue for the case that. Um, these two spheres that seem distinct and separate are actually mutually constitutive and mutually reinforcing. It'd be good actually to, to know a bit about that double movement, you know, that kind of marginal and marginalization uh, issue for uh, disability within within philosophy. You know, at once the kind of uh, as the book book's beginning sort of outlines you know at once the kind of subject isn't really uh taken seriously but also there is a dearth um of individuals and then you know through that programs etc uh journals you know that are kind of foregrounding it so yeah it'd be good if you could expand that kind of sense of marginal and, and marginalized as the as the start of the book does um well the um the work on um disability that has been done in philosophy since, uh, well, I would say that um, since the publication of Rawls's um, book in, in the early 19th century, Rawls' A Theory of Justice, um, John Rawls's book, Theory of Justice, uh, in 1971, in reaction to his book, there was a whole um, discussion in analytic political philosophy. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it also um, seeped into, um, you know, bioethics and, and cognitive science, but all of these... All all of these discussions in mainstream philosophy um, assume a medicalized and individualized conception of disability, whereby um, disability is a, a in, in which disability is seen as a natural disadvantage, um, a deleterious property of individuals. And so the uh, recommendations for um, how to address um, this natural disadvantage um, you know, that had been proposed, you know, um, um, are, are, you know, are things that would, would aim to, you know, um, 
cure disabled people or prevent disability, prevent this natural disadvantage from even occurring. Um, and um, so um, that's the sort of work that has been done in philosophy um, and um, critical work, critical philosophical work of the sort that I do has been marginalized um, and um and as I as I've you know argued throughout the book, um, and this marginalization is is um, connected to the exclusion of disabled philosophers who are producing this work, who are producing a counter discourse um, to the 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 way that philosophy, philosophy has treated disability, um, and um, I, part of this exclusion. Um, is, you know, there are many factors for this exclusion. Uh, one of the factors um, is um, the uh, exclusion from of disabled academics in general. I mean, um, the university is still quite um, inaccessible to um, disabled people. And so um, the um, uh, marginalization of, of um uh, critical work on disability and the exclusion of disabled philosophers is in one sense, um, you know, a product of the very fact that disabled people are excluded from the academy. But as I point out in the book, there are also um, specific fact, there are factors specific to philosophy that um, contribute to um, the exclusion of disabled philosophers um, and the marginalization of philosophy of disability. And, you know, there, um, they are things like, um, the uh, close association between um, the increasingly close association between um, uh, philosophy and um, areas of of the sciences, um, the uh, uh, promotion of, or the dominance of analytic philosophy uh, over other forms of philosophy um, and um, Analytic philosophy uh, being, you know, mainstream philosophy um, uh, for the most part, and um, so, and you know, uh, and and so critical work, critical philosophical work on disability not being, not being seen as, um, you know, as quote unquote rigorous enough, um, as um, not being seen as um, you know, using the appropriate, referring to the appropriate um, uh, authorities um, in mainstream philosophy and, and so on. I mean, this um, is a sort of standard issue that we encounter time and time again with philosophy um, in terms of things like um, ethnicity or, or, or race, and then in terms of, of gender as, as well. And the the other thing the book does is, you know, is not just kind of um, comes at um, questions of uh, disability from philosophy generally, but has a particular sort of um, feminist um, perspective. And I, I guess before we sort of um, really kind of get into the uh, to the main uh, bulk of the book, which, you know, sort of uh, critically analyzes how we think about disability and, you know, sort of um, unpacks um, particular uh, controversies that we see in, in society at, 
at the moment. It might be worth saying two very, very quick things about, on the one hand, the kind of relationship with feminism and feminist philosophy. And then we, we, we might think about uh, Michel Foucault, who's the other thing, uh, the other person in, in the title. So I wonder if you'd say a little bit about where feminism figures in the book before we talk about Foucault. Um, well, um, I identify as, you know, identify myself and, as a feminist philosopher and of disability in the book. And I engage with feminist philosophy in, in uh, various places throughout the book. I wanted to um, make sure that um, the book had a um, would be identified as feminist because I wanted to um, I wanted to connect um, my work on disability up with um, you know other um, other movements in philosophy um, feminist movements um, feminist philosophical movement uh, anti-racist work being done in philosophy. Um, um, and, uh, I mean, going back to the question of the underrepresentation of disabled philosophers, the uh, underrepresentation of philo- disabled philosophers is, uh, is, uh, you know, is a product of, of ableism as, as well as, um, ageism, um, you know, um, racism. And there's this, there's this, uh, you know, um, persona of the philosopher, which is, um, you know, philosophy can, is, is the most homogeneous uh, discipline in the humanities. And, um, uh, so, and it, it, it operates under this, uh, you know, uh, persona of the philosopher, which is, um, non-disabled, white, heterosexual. And so I wanted to connect my, my feminist philosophy of disability up with, other um, movements within philosophy um, to that would un, that are are working to undermine the uh, the homogeneity of philosophy. And why then was sort of Foucault um, so so important? Obviously, you know the kind of uh, I guess you know the question of undermining the norms of philosophy leads us you know really straight away to Foucault. But but one thing I, I actually really like about the book is that. You know, you're not kind of celebrating Foucault all, all all the way through. You know, you are sort of using him as well as you know, sort of pointing out the kind of like risks and you know the sort of downsides and, and critical engagement with his thought. So, so yeah. So, what, why why was Foucault sort of so so important to the book and, and, and to your thinking? Well, um, I think that um, Foucault offers. And I think Foucault offers the most sophisticated and politically and philosophically astute um, understanding of power that, uh, or and offers the best, uh, the most sophisticated and philosophically and politically astute way to do what I wanted to do in the book, which is denaturalize disability and debiologize disability. And um, um, so. Foucault was important important in that respect. Foucault was the first philosopher who persuasively, um, and you know, critically examined um, the 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 whole you know the whole cluster of ideas around the notion of normalcy and normality. Um, And so, to me, it was um, and. 
to me, so to me, it was, um, uh, it was, it just seemed, um, it's obvious to me that I would use Foucault and, um, and that I would use him in, uh, use him to show how disability, uh, was, uh, problematized, how it became a problem that philosophy felt that it need to, needed to, needed to, mainstream philosophy felt that it needed to address a natural disadvantage that philosophy had to address in some way that had to, political philosophers had to, um, you know, discuss and bioethicists had to, um, do something about. And, and, um, I think the fact that Foucault is marginalized, um, in philosophy, um, uh, you know, especially in Anglo-American philosophy, uh, it completely ig- ignored almost, um, is and and the fact that Foucault had done so much work on on disability and um, and and deviance himself, the fact that his work has been ignored and dismissed is one of the reasons why there hasn't been attention to disability uh, in ac- academic philosophy. Um, because here you have the philosopher who. Um, spent the most, gave disability um, and deviance the most attention. And he um, was, ex- you know, his work was largely excluded from um, mainstream philosophy, especially in uh, Anglo-American context. So it was important for me um, to, to um, draw attention to this work and to, to show that his ideas about the, the constitution of um, of subjects was essential for understanding how philosophy has um, constituted the problem of disability within um, within its domain um, and so you know and and the fact that um, you know the fact that I, I wanted to show um, feminist philosophers that um, I wanted to show feminist philosophers that there's so much to be uh, used um, from Foucault's work, so much to draw upon from Foucault's work that enables an analysis of disability and what I call the apparatus of disability that um, ignoring his work um, precludes. Yeah. I'd, uh- I guess the kind of um, early chapters in the book give a really straightforward illustration of this, you know, drawing on sort of uh, classic Foucauldian ideas about sort of production of individual subjectivity, the, you know, ideas about biopower, discourses about being, you know, kind of normal or abnormal or, or deviant um, with the way that disability is is sort of brought into being or is, is I guess, kind of, you know, produced through discourse. And, and one really sort of um, obvious way to, to kind of think about that would be how this um, idea that becomes important in the later parts of the book, this idea about impairment, is kind of brought into being. So, so I wonder if you could kind of talk me through your, your Foucauldian reading of, of the idea of impairment and, and how kind of, you know, uh, people with impairments are sort of produced uh, as, as, as subjects uh, within particular sorts of, of discourse. Uh, well, well, first, uh, you know, thank you for that question. Um, 
uh, I should point, I, I want to point out that what I'm doing in the, one thing I do in the book is that I introduce a new understanding of um, disability, what disability is and how it's, and how it's produced um, and what are its effects, et cetera. I, um, I introduce the term um, apparatus of disability um, and um so I, I'm distinguishing. I distinguish my idea of apparatus of disability from the other, from the work of other philosophers and theorists of disability. Other philosophers and theorists of disability um, talk about disability as you know. They assume that disability is you know either um, a, a, a property of individuals um, that um, you know. Um, uh, or a, so a form of social oppression um, that is imposed upon people with impairments. So, uh, and and I wanted to show that I wanted to argue that no, uh, philo- you know, disability is an apparatus. Um, I called for um, I the book calls for a conceptual revolution um, and about the way what people think what philosophers and other think others think disability is um, and how it is produced um, and um, uh, and I draw upon Foucault's idea um, Foucault, uh, Foucault's idea of the apparatus as a heterogeneous ensemble of discourses institutions. Um, you know, architectural um, practices, um, architectural structures, etc. Um, and I, I want to um, I redefine I, I redefine disability in this way. And in doing so, I argue that impairment is not an you know is not a natural antecedent of uh, you know. Of, of disability uh, as a, as a form of where disability is a form of social oppression. And in doing so, and in making that argument, I'm going, I was, I'm going against um, the dominant um, understanding of disability um, in that, you know, has circulated for some time in disability theory and in philosophy of disability, namely the British social model of disability, which makes a distinction between impairment as a natural property of individuals, which is, you know, um, politically and value neutral, and the oppression which is imposed upon those people, which gets which call, gets called in the terms of the British social model, it gets called disability. So I wanted to, um, you know, um, my work over the past decade at least has tried to undermine the British social model definition of disability. And, um, you know, that's that's what um, my idea of the apparatus of disability is meant to do. Um, and um, it part of the, uh, so in redefining disability, uh, what I say is, you know, so, so, these distinctions that are made in disability theory about types of impairment, invisible, invisible disabilities or visible disabilities, cognitive impairments or, um, you know, physical impairments. They're actually, they're actually bringing disability and natural, naturalizing impairment, naturalizing disability as impairment. They're bringing impairment into being. They're materializing impairment. That's one of the ways in which uh, disability is naturalized is through these distinctions that, you know, such as severe versus mild or moderate disability or impairment. Um, 
And, um, uh, you know, so, and this, so, so another thing that I, that I say is that, um, neither disability nor impairment are transhistorical and transcultural, rather a particular form of a, a certain regime of power, namely biopower has contributed to the emergence has, has produced has produced impairment as the naturalized foundation of disability, of the apparatus of disability. I mean, the, the, the one really straightforward way of, um, I guess, kind of um, and giving an example or, or, or making a really kind of concrete um, illustration um, of that theorization of of the apparatus of disability and, and the relationship with with impairment is, is is with this category of bioethics, which is the kind of um, sort of closing uh, chapter and, and section of the book. And I wonder if you could talk me through kind of what what bioethics is and and its relationship with with impairment and and how you've tried to kind of you know challenge that uh, in, in various different ways. Well, I uh, thank you. Um, um... That I, I argue in the book that, um, in, and elsewhere that bioethics is a technology of government. Um, uh, bioethics is, uh, uh, um, for those who aren't familiar with philosophy, um, you know, bioethics is a subfield of, uh, philosophy and it's also, you know, connects up with other disciplines. So, you know, there are some bioethicists in other disciplines. Um, but pre- primarily, it, you know, it's it's done by um, philosophers, and um, you know, so so this there's this idea that um, bioethics is the application uh, in medical and medical and biomedical contexts of um, ethical theories and and the principles that have been produced by ethicists. And my argument is that bioethics is something quite different than that. Um, bioethics is a technology of government and, um, and um, an epistemology of, uh, of domination. Um, if, if I could, I'd like to read a, a section of the book that really sums this up. May I do that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Um, I'm going to read a section from page 160 that goes over to 161. A neoliberal governmentality of security, in support of which the apparatus of disability and other apparatuses of, for instance, racialized and gendered force relations have amalgamated, undergirds the academic field of bioethics and has motivated its emergence and expansion, including the incessant production within some areas of the field of questions and concerns about impairment and the refinement of positions that rationalize its prevention and elimination. So here we see the production of impairment. I'm just okay back to the text consider Foucault's remarks about the three major forms that technologies of government take in their development and history first a given technology of government takes the form of a dream or utopia then the dream of the technology of government develops into actual practices or rules to be used in real institutions Finally, the practices and rules of the technology of government can become consolidated in the form of an academic discipline. 
My argument is that the academic discipline of bioethics relies on an epistemology of domination and is an institutionalized vehicle for the biopolitics of our time. That is, bioethics is a technology of government that provides intellectual resources designed to facilitate the strengthening of a certain population and the elimination of others. I submit furthermore that the implicit and explicit governmental tenor of governmental of bioethical inquiries and discussions contributes substantially to the hostile environment that disabled philosophers confront in philosophy. So there I'm talking about how I, I'm bringing together um, the both the reconstructive conceptual sphere of the book, um, the book, the, the, the sphere of the book that talks about the production of impairment and the metaphilosophical sphere of the book, which talks about how um, philosopher, disabled philosophers are excluded from the discipline and, and the, how, how these two are intertwined. Um, um, and, and this this has sort of... Uh, well, you, you show this as practical consequences in in a closing discussion of reproductive technologies, where you know the kinds of um, voices that one would expect to be in debates are not there because um, disabled philosophers are you know marginalised. But then also these you know kind of important questions of um, the role of bioethics in constituting very partial, you know, as you describe, you know, the kinds of uh, the fitness or otherwise of certain populations is, is, is overrepresented or is the, is the kind of the dominant voice? Um, you know, uh, the, um, I, dis- I, I began a, a, a de- definition or description of what I mean by the term um, uh, an apparatus of disability. Um, so so apparatus, the apparatus of disability has um, been consolidated to um, you know, respond to an urgent need in in this historical moment, and the need is um, the need for um, the requirement uh, that the apparatus of disability responds to is normalization, and bioethics facilitates the um, it contributes to the facilitation of of the um, of normalization of the population management of the population that. Um, enables the consult that enables the um uh enables the uh um efficient management uh you know the efficient um production of neoliberalism and um and uh its mechanisms i'm really interested in 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 where the sort of the project goes. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we really only scratched the surface of the book. You know, this incredible uh, wealth of um, things we could have talked about. There's a really interesting discussion about uh, specific debates around Foucault and, and, and feminism. But that sort of, I guess, has to call it, you know, a kind of political um, and philosophical moment that the book finishes on. Where, where are you sort of hoping, you know, the book uh, kind of takes debates and, and maybe maybe takes you in terms of your your philosophical career. Well, I I hope that I, I hope that um, it will. Um, I hope that my argument for a reconceptualization of disability is convincing, and um, I hope that there will be a move away from um, this individualized and medicalized conception of disability that is um, predominant in mainstream philosophy, and also um, can be found in, um, you know, um, 
uh, philosophy of disability and disability theory. So that's, I, I mean, I hope that um, my conception of, of disability as an apparatus is, is taken up by, um, you know, philosophers and disabled philosophers and disability theorists. I also um, hope that, I mean, I hope that um, it, obviously, I hope that it will pay off for me in terms of, um, you know, my own professional position in the academy um, and, um, uh, you know, my position will become, you know, less precarious um, because of this work and um, the recognition of the work. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I hope that there will be an, inc you know, increasing attention to um, increasing attention to critical work on disability in philosophy and in, including in feminist philosophy because feminist philosophers still, um, you know, um, still hold on to, to, you know, the mantras of gender, race, and class or gender, race, and sexuality and, you know, are not making the uh, are not making the connections with with you know um, the connections between um, those forms of um, you know identity and subjection um, and disability and so I hope that you know my my book will um, move things uh, along in terms of you know those connections being made. <laughs>